0: now, for your feature presentation.
1: One, or two, or three, or four, but five, Force 5.
2: Hello and welcome to the Force 5 Podcast, a show where I force my guests to come up with a movie-themed top five list and we reveal our picks on air. I'm your host, ex-video store clerk, wannabe screenwriter, and fellow listener, Jason Kleeberg. Today's guest is Ryan from the New World Pictures podcast, and uh, he was a great guest. In preparation for the show, I listened to a couple of shows that he had done on New World Pictures films, and they're incredibly well-researched and super fun to listen to, so I became an avid listener of that show. I hope you do, too. The New World Pictures library is vast and covers a ton of enticing genres, and uh, that speaks to... Our subject today, vast libraries, enticing genres. We're covering Charles Bronson films. First time we've ever done a show on just one actor, but from TV shows to telefilms, from bit parts to star leading man, Charles Bronson had a hell of a career. For younger listeners who might not be that interested in Charles Bronson, I'll start by saying I really hope you listen anyway, because he's got a huge filmography, and I think both Ryan and I brought some outstanding picks to the table today that I think you'll walk away ready to check out. And if you're not solo on checking out at least one Bronson performance after today's episode, I don't know what to tell you, because I think both Ryan and I gave some excellent films they're deserving due. Speaking of deserving due, the topic of the last show with Devon Taylor from the Bloody Blunts Cinema Club it was top five heist films, a great topic with a wealth of choices, tons that we had to leave out. The internet was quick to remind us of what we missed, and my Uncle Jim was as well. He shot over The Score with Robert De Niro and Marlon Brando. He also brought up Charlie Varick, which I have always wanted to see. I have it in my collection. I just haven't cracked it open yet. Over at the Cinematics Facebook page, Bruce Perkey brought up Top Copy, Thunderbolt and Lightfoot, and Die Hard. How did I forget Die Hard? Listener Rachel M. sent via email, Swordfish. <laughs> the only thing I remember from Swordfish is the really cool 360 explosion and John Travolta's ridiculous haircut. At Chonuff on Twitter said, Killing Zoe and Wrath of Man. Killing Zoe, I haven't seen in a very long time. Roger Avery film that I need to rewatch. I have it on DVD. I don't think it's even available on Blu-ray. And Wrath of Man, I quite enjoyed. I saw that last year with Jason Statham. And uh, my wife brought up The Bad Guys, a, an animated movie, which we just watched with the kid. And uh, it was pretty good. Not, um, not my favorite heist movie, not my favorite kids movie, but uh, still a solid, solid film. Speaking of solid films, I saw one this week. It's from 1987. It's called Extreme Prejudice.
1: Nick Nolte is lawman Jack Benteen. Thinking about taking him on? Might be fun. Someone's making trouble in his town. Well, I've been here for 20 minutes and I'm already having a terrible day. But his idea of a good time. will have us a little fun, I promise. Is giving them a hard time. I hurt my knee. Looks like you hurt your head. You gonna take on all the moosies by yourself there, sir? How much help do you think I need? Extreme Prejudice.
2: Six soldiers who operate outside of the law descend onto a small town outside of El Paso, Texas with a mission. They need to steal some documents from a drug kingpin. Stuck in the middle is a Texas Ranger with childhood ties to the gangster. There's a scene late in Extreme Prejudice where Nick Nolte and Powers Booth meet at a dusty bar south of the border, and it just felt like the perfect microcosm of this film. Everything just feels so dirty and sweaty, the stench of armpits and spilled liquor that's never been wiped up almost emanating from the screen. A place with no health codes, no regulations, an older, simpler time when lawmen and criminals had genuine respect for each other, but in the end, brute force was the way that problems were solved. Director Walter Hill took a script that was rewritten time and time again, with directors like John Milius and Jonathan Demme attached at points, and crafted a really fun modern western B-movie in which people still don cowboy hats, but traded in their revolvers for machine guns, and pulled together an all-star cast for the gunslinging. Nick Nolte plays Jack Benteen, the only person playing it deadly serious in this movie. He's an old-school, quick-witted, but even quicker on the draw. Powers Booth plays Cash Bailey, a scenery-chewing son of a bitch who normally kills people he can't buy. He's got money, he's got a fortress, he's got an empire. And in the middle, we've got a small group of soldiers with a mission to rob him, led by the always-terrific Michael Ironside. His performance in Scanners would never be topped, but I absolutely loved him in this role. Rounding out the cast, it's a gang of amazing character actors like Clancy Brown, William Forsyth, Tiny Lister, Rip Torn, and the guy who can't beat Steven Seagal in a knife fight while he's on his knees in a bodega and marked for death. It's like a who's who of late 80s henchmen. The script, which started development over 10 years before it was finally made, is filled with enough twists and turns that it could easily be made into a six-episode miniseries in today's climate. Apparently, over 45 minutes were cut from the final product, including a lot of the final showdown that I'd love to see, and a whole subplot involving another agent that is just completely missing from the movie. Despite some things feeling jumpy thanks to those cuts and some clear continuity challenges, the story feels pretty straightforward. The real strength in the script here are the nuances of the characters. You start to care about some of the bit players, so when someone unexpectedly dies halfway through in one part of the operation, there's a bit of an emotional sting. It also never falls prey to typical genre tropes. The respect between everybody feels real and plays into the climax in a major way as we see both an honest attempt at an Old West gunslinger showdown and a cap tip from William Forsyth's Atwater as he delivers a sly word of warning to Ben Teen between shots of tequila before lead starts flying. It's no secret that twists and turns are barreling straight towards a showdown, and when it happens, it does not disappoint. This is clearly a nod to Sam Peckinpah's The Wild Bunch as we get a massive shootout between all kinds of interested parties in a small Mexican villa. I really liked Extreme Prejudice. It moves at a breakneck pace and almost every character feels well realized. The only weak link in the whole film, in my opinion, was the character of Sarita, played by Maria Conchita Alonso. It felt like they shoehorned the character in as some sort of pink link between Benteen and Bailey, but there was no chemistry between any of them and it really didn't feel like Sarita liked or wanted to be with either one. We didn't need her to make the story work, but without her, there would have been zero female representation in the film. I could see this as a spiritual prequel to No Country for Old Men, with Jack Benteen aging into the role of a jaded Ed Tom Bell. I was extremely impressed with the disc from Lionsgate's Vestron line, although they were unable to source the uncut version, which probably honestly doesn't even exist today. The picture looks great, the sound bangs, the, the extras, I mean, the extras on this thing are great. We get a feature-length commentary from film historians C. Courtney Joyner and Henry Park, an hour-long interview with Walter Hill, 20-plus-minute interviews with Michael Ironside and Clancy Brown, a featurette about the cinematographer, and rounding out the package, we get a few trailers. At around 12 bucks, this film is an amazing value. And if you like fast-paced 80s action films or neo-westerns, this one is going to be right up your alley. That's Extreme Prejudice from 1987. Today's sponsor is an important one.
1: Take it away, Mr. Bronson. Charles Bronson isn't happy. Sure takes guts to vandalize parks or beat up on trees. But that's what some jerks are doing to our public lands. Only the land can't fight back. But we can. We can save our lands, you and me. Let's face it. Someone who gets us kicks punching out flowers shouldn't be too much of a match for us. Right, take pride in America. Post Office Box 1339, Jessup, Maryland, 20794.
2: If I've learned anything from watching all of these Charles Bronson films, it's that if you've made Charles Bronson unhappy, he's gonna fucking kill you. So if you're one of those little pieces of filth who's out there littering and beating up trees and punching flowers, just stop. If not for our environment, if not for our planet, and if not for our youth, stop doing it, because if you don't, Charles Bronson will hunt you down and murder you, and he'll get away with it because one, there's no promo code to get you out of it, two, you deserved it, and three, because he's Charles fucking Bronson. Speaking of, toss on some mandem cologne, let's talk some Charles Bronson films. Welcome back to the Force 5 podcast. Tonight, my guest is Ryan from the New World Pictures podcast. The topic you chose, my friend, is a manly one. Top five Charles Bronson films. Ryan, how are you tonight?
0: I am doing great. Thank you so much for having me, Jason. I'm a huge fan of your podcast. Um, I, I have, It's become uh, a must-listen every time you have a new episode, and since you've gone um, every other week, now I can catch up on some of the back episodes. So, huge fan. So happy to be here.
2: I appreciate that. I'm a, I'm a big fan of your podcast, too. And you know what? Actually, before we get to Charlie here, before we get to Charlie Bronson, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. why don't you tell us a little bit about your podcast? We'll do some plug at the top here. And, um, and, and while we're at it, for those who haven't heard of such gems as Smokey Bites the Dust and The Stuff, <laughs> what was New World Pictures? <laughs> all about
0: (laughs) new world pictures was started by roger corman in 1970 uh just because roger corman's the ultimate um cinematic capitalist he wanted (laughs) to make sure that he made all of the money and he was tired of making movies for american international pictures and letting them make he would make money but they would also make a ton of money and he said what's that about i want to make all of the money what if I started putting out my own movies on my own? And he had started a uh, a uh, production company called The Film Group with his brother Gene in the 1960s. But in 1970, he said, I'm going to go into business for myself and set up New World Pictures, which ran until the almost 1990. Um, he sold it in the early 80s um, to three lawyers who wanted to get into the movie making business. Of course. And they ran, And they ran that baby into the ground <laughs> though they still continue to do new world television that seemed to end up being pretty popular for them but our podcast is dedicated to new world pictures and dedicated to watching every movie released by new world pictures even smoky bites the dust which everyone knows and loves um <laughs> so and so that's what our that's what essentially that's the thrust of our podcast um You know, we also are now doing um, conversations and interviews with people that have made the movies or worked on the movies. That kind of started last year Um, because, you know, we we knew we were going to have like, you know, a good time talking about these movies. Like you said, there's a bunch there's a couple of these movies that are, you know, pretty, pretty wild and also some great, really good movies. Um, Oh, yeah. Yeah. some Academy Award winners even. Um, but, you know, we knew we were going to have, like, a good time. We're going we're gonna to have a good time talking about these movies, a lot of these that we have loved growing up. Um, but we also wanted to, like, you know, provide some background and do some research so we're also hopefully entertaining while we're also informing. And so the, then we started, you know, interviewing some actors and writers and directors and editors and, you know, people that worked on these movies. So we're now starting to also branch out into that as well.
2: Yeah, it's awesome. I saw you get some uh, some bonus episodes on there. So
0: yeah, yeah, we 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 really kind of went crazy on the bonus episodes. Not only with interviews, but we also are like exploring movies that New World almost made, and yeah, you know. Uh, uh, you know other stuff for our new series that we're still kind of figuring out as we go called convince me where we talk about popular movies that one of us just doesn't like for some reason <laughs> and we try to see what we can do to convince them so we're having a, we're having a good time with it um but ultimately it all comes to new world pictures and you know we we get we get in deep with movies like 18 again and certain fury you know
2: <laughs> new world though amazing that's got some amazing films i cannot wait for you to review Firecracker from 1981, which yeah, is a new world movie.
0: Yes, it is. Well, we talked to um, Alan Holzman. So we, we interviewed him a few times and he worked on that as sort of second unit ish. He basically had to add additional material. So he had to he's the one that is responsible for the love scene with the knives.
2: Oh, so good. And,
0: and also the big fight scene when she's literally at the studio that Roger Corman uh, had built, or, or rather bought, that was a former lumberyard, and he used the outdoor lumberyard where she has a big karate fight scene with several guys uh, at nighttime. So Alan uh, directed those scenes, but yeah, that movie is just tremendous. Um, yeah, I'm excited for that one too. Um, I'm actually we still we got some really good ones lined up which I'm I'm actually really pleased about. So, um we were kind of hitting hitting it hard at the beginning, you know, where we weren't doing bonus episodes, we were just doing the movies and we I started going, "Are we going to run out of good movies?" <laughs> because, you know, but uh as we've gone through, we have also just been blown away by a couple of total treasures that we didn't realize, we didn't know anything about and they kind of blew us away. So, um, so it turns out we haven't run out of good movies. I mean, uh, there's, there's plenty more to go.
2: Yeah. Plenty of, plenty of gems in the new world pictures catalog. Uh, speaking of gems, what are some of your favorite movies of all time that are not Charles Bronson movies?
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I had to think about this. I was like, I don't, I really, I am such a big movie fan. I like all kinds of movies. So I'm like, a, I was a big horror fan. My brother and I were big horror fans when we grew up. Um, John Carpenter, one of my favorite directors, Sam Raimi, um, you know, Dario Argento, uh, um, Lucio Fulci, all the sort of Italian stuff. Um, so obviously the thing being a big one, that's one Mm. of my all time favorite movies. Same, same. Um, gosh, I was just thinking about this today because somebody was talking about your favorite comedy and this may not be the best comedy because I love comedies as well. But uh, Fletch is just like a movie that I have just, I just fell in love with as a kid and I just adore that movie. It's, I realize there's maybe better comedies, but it's my favorite comedy. Um, uh, uh, Gosh, I'm just going to go into like, I feel like all that's coming to me is John Carpenter stuff. Um, (laughs) That's okay. That's how I feel sometimes too. (laughs) Shit, he's great. It's like, I was like, oh, Escape from New York? Yeah, okay. Well, that's also John Carpenter. Halloween? Okay, The Fog. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I like all sorts of stuff. I also really like junky trash movies, too. <laughs> hey, um, me too. You know, so I know you're into vinegar syndrome stuff. And yeah, I'm a subscriber as well. And so it's been a blast listening to your show and, and you talking about some of those movies to, at the top, because I think you were as equal a fan as we were of Alien Private Eye.
2: Oh, my God. So good.
0: Yeah, I just absolutely adored that movie uh, just, it's just amazing. It's just, I don't even know what to say. We did talk about it on a bonus episode, but it's just a delight. It's just, it's just, uh, I can't wait to watch it more. Um, one of the best movies I saw last year was Psycho Gorman, which I think you've also talked about. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah. I love that. Was like, I felt like uh, somebody knew exactly the things that I love and just made a movie with all of those items. Yep. And, uh, I was like, thank you for doing that. I don't know how you got inside my brain and picked it apart and took all the things I loved and made a movie out of it. But thank you for doing that. Um, Yeah. I mean, all sorts of stuff. I don't know. Uh, You know, I I really have been getting into Italian movies too, a lot. So I've gotten like every Giallo box set, I think that is available. (laughs) And, but I love like not just Giallo, but spaghetti Westerns, like Eurocrime stuff. Like I'm really like, it seems to be coming, becoming like a, like a real uh comfort film is just to put on like an italian movie just a good old dubbed uh italian movie but i also love like you know action films uh i'd i was a huge jackie chan guy and john woo dude back when you would have to i had to i had to buy vhs rips
2: yeah i've been there <laughs> you
0: know bootleg vhs tapes because mm-hmm. uh, i grew up in san diego so i I'd go to comic-con and that's what I'd spend my spend all my money on. Get ten dollars so I could get Heroic Trio, yeah, um, on VHS. And so <laughs> I, I love uh, all that stuff. Uh, a big Jackie Chan guy. I Love, uh, you know, John Woo, hard boiled, um, just one of the best action films of all time.
2: Well, you mentioned Italian films. You mentioned spaghetti westerns, Giallo, action movies, all of which have been made with our man Charles Bronson.
0: <laughs> yep.
2: Originally, when you approached the topic, I was like, oh, I, I guess that Bronson maybe has some new world pictures out there. But I, I also realized he probably doesn't because he was canon at that time.
0: He was canon. No, we, that's partly why I chose the topic. Um, I'm just such a big fan of Charles Bronson.
2: Where does that fandom come from?
0: It really comes from my from my my dad. Um, my dad showed us a bunch of Bronson movies when we were kids. And he was just rolling into Bronson, you know, and so we got into it, too. And then, you know, you see all the canon stuff. I mean, I, you know, I grew up in the 80s. I was watching all the canon stuff, too. We weren't just watching New World Pictures stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, all those canon movies were like huge to everybody. Everybody was watching, you know, Missing in Action, and um, Invasion USA and, you know, all the, the I mean, shit. I, I I was probably way too young when I watched uh, Death Wish or Death Wish, Two. Um, which is the two, th- two, three, and four are canon. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I I was into all those movies and all those, Bron- we watched tons of Bronson stuff. I just got real into them. And sadly, you're right. We don't get a chance to talk about Bronson on our podcast. And that's kind of why I brought it up because I was like, man, I never get a chance to talk about Charles Bronson. I I just adore the guy. I'd love to uh, for a chance to talk about him.
2: I feel like Charles Bronson is the actor that everybody's dad or father figure, or grandpa, like tune them into for our generation. Uh, sure. And <laughs> I never had that. My dad was never a Charles Bronson fan. My dad was the Van Damme, Steven Seagal fan back in the 90s oh, when I started watching movies. So I was never huh. introduced to Bronson through him and got introduced really through one of my uh, one of my higher-ranked films on my list today, which I'll get to. but uh, mm. And I, I don't think I really appreciated him until I started re-watching and watching for the first time a lot of his movies when you gave me this topic, because he always kind of felt like this one-note actor to me, but I quickly learned that, number one, he does have some different sides to him, and number two, yeah. that one note, he just plays so damn well that... When you start watching the movie, you don't really care that much.
0: Well, Bronson brings is a thing that I probably why, you know, guys of my dad's generation were just so into because you just knew the guy had a tough upbringing.
2: Yeah. You couldn't
0: cast him really in a role that would have maybe that he could have acted, but would have really set him far apart from what his uh, on-screen persona really became, and his on-screen persona sort of did definitely become sort of homogenized, sort of became the same every every film, and almost became a marketing tool. It's just like it's Bronson doing his thing. Show up, pay your money.
2: Yeah, then, it's Liam Neeson of now.
0: <laughs> yeah, totally. It's exactly what totally. Liam Neeson's doing. But like, there's just a thing about action stars, and I, you know, still love action movies, and there's a lot of great guys out there doing stuff. Um, but there's just. There is just uh this guy had it really fucking rough that nobody else can just carry with him the way Bronson did. And the reason Bronson has it is because he had it really fucking rough growing up. Yeah. You know? Working in mines uh, and shit. Working in mines and coal mines. He started smoking, I think, when he was nine. He was like, <laughs> Jesus you know, Christ. They were they grew up in a poor neighborhood and he's one of like I don't even remember how many kids like 14 kids or something like he's like maybe ninth or something like that like he's just one of a gazillion kids growing up poor working in the mines uh speaking his first language was like lithuanian you know he had to like teach himself he had to take a course to try to teach him how to speak clearly when he was going to acting school so that he could speak better he also went into war in world war ii when he was a gunner so like this guy had it rough (laughs) And then decided to become an actor, you know, so it's just he's just a fascinating person, you know, and I I just find him infinitely enjoyable to watch, even though, yeah, sometimes his his performances can get a little, you know, one note ish. He's not he's not a totally one note actor, but they can tend to some of the films he made can tend to blur a bit.
2: Well, uh, hopefully we can give some people some pics to check out if they are new to Bronson or. Like me didn't have a big appreciation for Bronson. Hopefully we can uh, give some people some some cool choices to check out after this uh, before we get into our picks, did you narrow your list down in any kind of way or have any parameters for yourself?
0: Yes, I did, um like I said, because I'm an avid listener of your show. I know that you like to do that guests yep. don't always do it seem to do it, but I'm like, no, I'm going to do it because I want to give the, exactly what you're saying. I want to give people. A, a a sort of the breadth of his career if we if if you will. So for one I limited it to I wanted Charles Bronson movies. Uh, not movies that he star that he's in, but movies that he stars in. Okay. Now he might be like a co star with another guy or girl or you know, but I didn't want to him to be just one of the ensemble. I wanted it to be a Charles Bronson film. Sure. So that was number one. And then I wanted to try and see if I could pick one from the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, and the 80s. Oh, okay. So I'm trying to really go through his career and try to pick the best out of those decades, at least according to me, <laughs> and uh, and try to give, you know, a bit of a scope in terms of his career.
2: Well, I'm happy to say that I narrowed my list down in almost the exact same way. <laughs>
0: That is awesome.
2: Uh, I wanted to make sure like this dude was in, I think on IMDB, he's credited in like 160 plus things. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. How do you, how do you narrow that down to five? Really, really tough. So I, um, I didn't exactly go by decade, but I did go through, um, like different phases of his career and cool. Put what in, and and there are, you know, there are, like you said, there are Charles Bronson movies and then there are movies that Charles Bronson is in. And I do feel like I have a couple of those just because, uh, you know, they were pivotal in his career. It sure. will be interesting to see if we have any crossover. I also wanted to just have one Death Wish movie on there because I think Death Wish is one of his like one of one of his most famous runs. And so I just I want to have one of those on there, but no more than one.
0: Hmm, interesting. I I thought that you might. So, yeah, uh, that's 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 okay. Okay.
2: All that stuff being said, Ryan, you ready to get to our picks here?
0: Yeah, let's do it. You know what's going to happen?
1: Hey, you know what's happening right now? I know what's going to happen? No, no, no. no, no, no. What? You just made the list. Top top top
2: top 5 Charles Bronson movies. Why don't you kick us off with your number five?
0: So for my number five, we're going to reach a little bit further back to one of his very first leading man roles, and that is 1958's Machine Gun Kelly.
1: Charles Bronson as Machine Gun Kelly brings shockingly alive the time of as vicious a killer as you've ever known. Susan Cabot as Flo, his girl, as wanton a woman as Kelly is wild. You like beautiful things, Howard. More than anything else in the world. Get away from them. These are the untamed of our world. Killers by instinct, like the mountain lion. <clears throat> Fanny, why don't you take the beaten I gave you like a man? No, 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 no. <clears throat> well, it gives us about three minutes with only the guard to worry about. Three minutes isn't enough. I'll work it out.
0: This is uh, directed by Roger Corman and uh, written by R. Wright Campbell. He also wrote Five Guns West for Corman and later would write 1963's Young Racers. And, you know, it's Charles Bronson starring as the real life Machine Gun Kelly. And I should stress, I mean, the infamous gangster and not Megan Fox Fox's fiance. So just as a point of order. I would have paid to see that, though. Him playing
2: <laughs> Machine Gun Kelly, the rapper slash uh, would guitarist. Wood
0: be pretty incredible. Um he would really I mean for those that make fun of his acting, he would really have to work hard to act like <laughs> Kelly in the few roles that he's done. But um the thing that I really like about this movie is that he is really going for it because it is one of his first leading roles and he got a couple other leading roles in 1958, but this is really one of the first movies where he gets to really be the name above the title and he's really going for it. Um he oddly replaced Dick Miller of all people in the lead role. Um, And he has to, he has to play a tough guy, but he, you know, he's also, most of the movie was a, was really the, the, the the draw for Corman to make the movie was the fact that machine gun Kelly just ended up surrendering uh, so peacefully to the police when he was so infamous for his, you know, uh, cold blooded, blooded crime and for using uh, the particular machine gun, um, the Tommy gun. And so that so he really kind of wanted to work with that dichotomy. So on one hand, Charles Bronson is in one scene trying to, like, you know, kill Maury Amsterdam with a a, like a mountain lion in a cage, backs him up against the cage. And then in the next, like he's kind of like whimpering in a corner. And Susan Cabot, who plays uh, his uh, his partner, she's like giving him grief because he's he's not as tough as he says. So he's really trying to, like, balance being a tough guy, but also, you know, the fact that he ends up kind of just throwing his gun down and saying, just take me, just don't shoot me, you know? So uh, it's kind of an interesting, you know, is it perfect? No. Uh, it's d- Is the performance perfect? No. But, like, I've, you really get to see a different side of Bronson if you watch this because he's really giving it his all. And this is really, I feel like, him taking his opportunity. and like, hey, I'm finally getting a leading man role. I'm going to really make a meal out of this this film. And I've seen some criticism of his performance in the film itself being a little melodramatic, but I feel like that's 1958. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, let's calm down on that's. They were most films around that time. were a little melodramatic if you've seen any from that era. So, um, yeah, so that's my number five pick.
2: Machine gun Kelly. I have not seen this one. Uh, I've, I haven't really delved back that far in Charles Bronson filmography. And, uh, I guess I'm probably doing myself a disservice, not seeing some of the early ones.
0: Well, again, there's only a few uh, from the 50s where he like it was kind of easy. Like I I felt like sheepish picking one that was Roger Corman's because I was like, well, sure, you know, stay, you know, <laughs> stay on brand and everything. Right. But uh, but really, it was really because there's only a few that he actually was the lead star of
2: yeah so yeah.
0: that's why i had to choose this this particular one so it kind of really just by a process of elimination there's only a couple other ones um when hell broke loose and uh, showdown at boot hill and there's not a lot that he, he was like the lead of in the 50s so that's why i kind of went with that one and it's definitely at least for me the better of the bunch but um yeah so I, and i think it's worth a watch it's interesting to see him also in black and white
2: all right, that's Machine Gun Kelly from. Would you say 1956? Eight. 1958. 58. Okay, yeah. cool. So uh, my number five is going to go in the complete opposite direction. This is going to be <laughs> one of his um, one of his last attempts at uh, at stardom, and this is a TV movie that I think a, a lot of people probably haven't heard of. Mm. I watched this on YouTube. Um. Now, Charles Bronson is widely known for his work on the big screen, obviously, but TV has always been a big part of Bronson's career. After his uh, Machine Gun Kelly turn, he was in a ton of different TV series. Um, sure. He was in, well, he was in an, um, a Man with a Camera, which I think was his first starring TV series. Uh, That
0: was before that was before Machine Gun Kelly in the earlier, in the mid 50s.
2: Oh, okay, All right. And then he was also in like um, Have Gun, Will Travel. He was in Alfred Hitchcock Presents. He was in a ton of different uh, series in like one or two episodes. And he also did a ton of TV movies throughout his career. And uh, one of those that I think is actually really quite good is 1993's Donato and Daughter
1: she's a policewoman on the most sensational case of her career you think this is the work of a serial killer yes her father's a cop whose job is on the line when you're in this case donato you need this as much as i do together they'll risk everything to save a city gripped with fear i don't want you to win not your call sergeant it's mine charles bronson emmy award winner Dana delaney in a spellbinding thriller he came after my son he knows exactly what he's doing no! donato and daughter next tuesday due to some violent content parental discretion is advised So he
2: was married to Jill Ireland. It was his second wife. He was in a ton of movies with Jill Ireland, like probably 15 movies or so.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: And uh, when she passed away, he stepped away from acting for a little bit and then came back. He did a couple of TV movies before he died. Um, He did like this trio of movies called Family Family of Cops. Cops. Yeah, which I haven't seen. He was in something called The Sea Wolf. Yes, Virginia, there is Santa Claus. And in the middle there, he did Death Wish 5. But... Uh, Donato and Daughter is, I think, one of his better late TV movies. It's uh, about so he he plays this cop. His daughter is also a police chief or she's like a police captain. She's still on the streets and stuff like that. But um, there's this serial killer that's going out and sexually assaulting and murdering nuns. And so they put together this task force and the daughter is in charge of this task force and her dad has to work for her. And they do not get along. And when you hear that premise, it might sound like it's going to be a comedy. <laughs> it is not a comedy. <laughs> this is, uh, it's like, as far as TV movies go, it's pretty graphic. I was pretty surprised about some of the oh, things okay. that they showed. In so much that uh, it was rated R for its home video release. I think it was released under the title of Dead to Rights. but um, mm-hmm. it And it doesn't show, like, extreme violence happening in the moment. But you see corpses and stuff and... It's it's pretty brutal for something that you would see on TV. It's very similar. Cool. And the reason why I chose this, number one, I wanted to highlight his TV career. But also, um, I almost put a different movie on this list called Ten to Midnight. And mm-hmm. this is very, very similar in terms of the beats to Ten to Midnight. So I'm kind of like supplementing Ten to Midnight with this one in that there's this <laughs> serial killer running around that Bronson has to stop with – know seemingly airtight alibis um it's it's um it's a little awkward when it first starts and it feels kind of wooden but the movie really picks up as it goes along and it's got a great supporting performance by a young xander berkeley who uh is in a ton of things and i almost had on the show at one point uh he yeah he 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 has a really great turn in this movie
0: Uh, he's in a new world movie as well
2: which one is he in
0: well, he's in a couple. He's in Tag the Assassination Game, and he is in one called uh, that we talked about, called the Mega Syndrome. Oh, and that's right. He is great in it. He is plays this, uh, this this uh, punk uh, like I think he's like a Nazi skinhead kind of thing. It's you know, it's a wild movie. Uh, Kent Wall is the main character. Anyway, he's just he's great in it. Um, so I would I'd be thrilled to hear him on your show. He's he's a terrific actor, and he's really good in what is otherwise not a very good movie uh, (laughs) that is Omega Syndrome. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. But this, this, this would be cool. Like if he, if he gets a cool role, he really goes for it.
2: Yeah. And he definitely goes for it in this, in this one. Um, He, he might also for younger audiences. Well, people would probably know him uh, as the stepdad in Terminator two, John Connor's stepdad. And then he's also uh, George Mason in 24, which is probably where I became a big fan of his.
0: He's also in The Walking Dead.
2: Yeah, yep, he is. And so,
0: he was in he's in that show as well. And he was also in The First Candyman.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, you're right. He was. Um so, yeah, Donato and Daughter, check it out on YouTube. It's not your typical TV movie, and I think Bronson has a really strong late career performance here. And uh Xander Berkeley is just kind of a bonus.
0: That's awesome. I would I'd definitely go check this out. I did not dip into the 90s, so I didn't go there, but I, I will definitely check this out.
2: Yeah, it's a good one. All right. Uh, number four for you.
0: OK, well, you know, perfectly fitting with Donato and Daughter, then um, my number four pick is Ten to Midnight.
2: Nice. Well, I'm glad I didn't pick it. So we got to talk about both of them.
1: Charles Bronson is a cop looking for a killer and he's running out of time. Ten to Midnight. I'm a mean, selfish son of a... B- but I want to kill her, and what I want comes first. We found some blood. He's lying. There was no blood on my clothes, and he knows it! When there is no justice, Charles Bronson is the law. Ten to Midnight. From canon releasing, rated R. No one under 17 admitted to a parent or guardian.
0: It really, when you look at his, especially his canon movies, I think this is his best canon movie. Um, I, it's just such a crazy story, crazy film. Because it isn't, it, it, you know, it isn't a typical Bronson movie and it isn't simply because after the, on the heels of Death Wish 2, Cannon wanted to make an immediate other Bronson film. So they came up with, they asked the uh, producer, Pancho Con- Connor, I believe. He, he'd he worked with uh, uh, Bronson a ton. Yeah. And, th- and so he was like, come up with a title. Um, I think this is Menachem Golan and and he said, Okay, how about ten to midnight? That's what's what they really <laughs> and he said, Okay, great. <laughs> so they put together a poster and they and they, you know, they make this poster, Ten to Midnight, come see it, and they sell it at Cannes. And they have no they have no script at all. And another producer, Lance Hoole, who'd worked with Bronson a lot, I think he also worked Chuck Norris a bunch too, and in the eighties. And he, he had a script in development from William Roberts, which was about the serial killer. So they're like, why don't we just take that serial killer script and we'll just put Bronson in it. And we got 10 to midnight. (laughs) And so it's such an unusual film. I think some of the movies that he does later, um, I won't say what they are just in case you picked one of them, but I think that they kind of somewhat go back to this movie, but I I feel like this is, this is the one Um, it also has. And it's, amazing for the supporting cast just to just to go through it bronson is playing a um cop uh called leo kessler who is on the trail of a serial killer and he believes right away that he has this man and this guy named warren stacy played by gene davis in a fantastic performance yeah just like so creepy and weird and uh so but he kind of you know does whatever he can do to sort of uh you know make sure that he gets his man and maybe it's not all entirely legal which is not so uh, pleasing to his new partner played by Andrew Stevens who also who'd been in another uh, Bronson movie before this and but there's also like Jeffrey Lewis is in it you got Wilford Brimley in it and I think um Lisa Albrightor who would uh, would I remember mostly from like Beverly Hills Cop but uh, she is so good in this movie. Um, it it uh, it also has Kelly Preston in a in a early very early role um, in a in a in a brutal death scene um, with uh with our main killer. But I think Lisa Albacker is just really good in it, and she kind of like you know I just think it's got such a great cast. It's got Bronson doing what he's doing, him tracking down a naked serial killer. Oh I mean, yeah, I don't Butt know, naked. I, I just. <laughs> but naked. It's it's you know, it's essentially Bronson's uh Silence from the Lambs. Essentially that's what this is. Um and uh I just uh I just think it's one of the best ones he did in the eighties. To me, this one really this really I rewatched it for this and was just like, Yeah, yeah, pretty much this is this has gotta go on the list.
2: Yeah, this one, uh, like I said, it's it's got some similarities to Donato and Daughter in that the killer always has this airtight alibi. And this guy's alibi is bizarre. Like, he'll, he'll go to a yeah. movie, he goes to the bathroom, he strips, and then he leaves the theater butt naked, goes and kills right. somebody, and then comes back to the theater. And to make sure that people know he was there, he goes in and then tries to sexually assault somebody in the theater. So they remember he was there.
0: Yep. And then he talks to them after the movie. So like his (sighs) it's 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 crazy. Um, Also, what movie were they watching? Because I can't (laughs) remember what was on the marquee uh, because, you know, he's got to drive somewhere in L.A., a remote area, uh, kill somebody, drive back, get back into the theater like
2: gotta be a if double feature man gotta be a double
0: feature. <laughs> it's gotta be <laughs> i mean it is shot at the arrow so i think it might there might have been some kind of uh maybe at the time i'm not sure if it was a revival house like it is today but um yeah i don't know it had to be a long one though because you gotta you, you gotta give yourself some time sunny you know, chiba be... triple feature yep that's right <laughs> <laughs> And Sister Street Fighter, just to end it all out.
2: There you go. All right. That's uh, 10 to Midnight, a classic 1983 Charles Bronson film. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know what? It was going to be my number three, but I'm going to kick it to number four here because it just goes perfectly with your pick of 10 to Midnight. Because um, the movie that they wanted to do was
0: (laughs) an adaptation
2: of a 1978 (laughs) novel called The Evil That Men Do, right after. Death Wish 2, and they could not get that out quick enough. So, um, you know, they went and did 10 to Midnight first, but they ended up getting the rights and getting it made and the movie is, of course, 1984's The Evil Men Do.
1: When the system of justice doesn't work, Bronson does. When the courts can't do what they must, Bronson will in the name of revenge there is just one name bronson fighting all the evil that men do
0: this is to me like his uh his mexican vacation because i believe this is where they, they yep. shot it all in mexico yeah and he brought his family with him so uh you know and it's you know jaylee thompson and he's gotta like you know he, he jaylee is really good about letting him you know, ch- shoot when he wanted to shoot and then be done when he needed to be, when he wanted to be done. Cause he would only put in an eight hour work day.
2: And according to J. Lee Thompson, uh, Bronson was like super professional. He was like, show up, ready to go. I'm going to do my scenes and I'm going to go home. And yep. uh, there wasn't a whole lot of like drama with Bronson <laughs> and he just came on set, did his thing and left. Uh, and like you said, he and Thompson had a bunch of collaborations Including like 10 to midnight, which you already said, uh, Death Wish 4, Murphy's Law, Cabo Blanco, um, all kinds of different movies that they did together.
0: Oh, Cabo Blanco, did that is that is that coming up? Is
2: that number uh, one? <laughs> <laughs> that one not on my
0: list, but
2: but um, like like you said with 10 to midnight, he kind of went down this route, a very similar old man who's either an assassin or a man pushed too far roles. Uh, mm-hmm. Like I mentioned before, the modern day example would be Liam Neeson. He's kind of doing that same Bronson yeah. formula right now. And there were a ton of these kind of movies. And one of my favorites in that in that section of his career is The Evil Men Do. He plays this, um, this guy named Holland. He's an ex-CIA assassin mm-hmm. who comes out of retirement because – his friend named George, who's a journalist, is killed by this guy named Dr. Moloch, who is, I guess, <laughs> an international torture teacher. <laughs> He's like, I used to I used to be a trainer, like a sales trainer. I would teach people how to sell things. And this guy oh, wow. apparently goes to different countries and teaches them how to torture correctly. <laughs> and it's funny because he, you know, like the very first scene of this movie is... A classroom full of military people just watching (laughs) as this guy's... He has a a black hood on, and it's really kind of sinister looking at first. I don't know why he has the black hood on, because he takes it off halfway during his speech anyway. And then uh, he hooks up this dude, George, to electricity. Like, he has him chained up. He puts some electric things on him. The guy's butt naked. And he fries him to death. In front of these uh, these people at the same time, the CIA is trying to kill him and they bungle it and uh, accidentally kill one of their own guys, which is really (laughs) stupid. So they got to come to Charles Bronson, who's in I think he's in the Cayman Islands at the time.
0: Mexico, you know, filling in for the Cayman Islands.
2: Yeah. 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 The scroll, the scroll on the screen says Cayman Islands. Um, Yeah. And then they're like, hey, we, we need you to come back in action. At first he says no, of course, because it's a movie, you gotta say no. And then he uh he just shows up, like, all right, fuck it. I'm ready to do it. Uh this movie is surprisingly mean spirited, but it does have some cool twists, got some great kills. And mm-hmm. there are a couple scenes I, I want to talk about here. I rewatched this literally just yesterday, which uh if you've followed me on Twitter, you may have seen oh, me yeah. post the, the clip of yep. him.
0: Oh it's my a great god. Clip, though.
2: Yeah, he's in this bar and this guy's giving um, he's there with George's uh, widow and she's getting harassed by this big dude in this bar. And Bronson, cool as a cucumber, knocks the table over, grabs this guy by the dick and then proceeds to knock him down, steps on his neck with one foot and then has both hands on the guy's dick and pulling it for <laughs> leverage as he chokes yep. the guy to death.
0: Yeah, it is it's awesome.: Yeah, it's great. It's a great scene.
2: At one point, he also uh, he's, he's trying to get this woman out of this hotel as a hostage, and he needs to create a distraction, so he ties up a henchman to a fire hose and kicks him out of the hotel window and hangs the guy in a great scene so he can get away. And then in that, after he has her, there's a car chase. He's got her stuffed in the trunk and it's a pretty rough car chase. Like, they're going through these Mexican hills and stuff and uh, bouncing all around. There's gunfire being traded back and forth. Bronson, like, one-handing a shotgun, holding it on the the back of the seat. And uh, when the car chase is over, they open up the trunk. The hostage is dead. (laughs) It's like, surprisingly mean-spirited, but I mean that's what uh, that's the movies Bronson was doing in the eighties here.
0: Yeah, for sure. I love that scene where he throws him out the window. I think I saw this like I rather rewatch it. I'm pretty sure I saw it when I was a kid, but I rewatched it like a year or so ago, and it was on I think it was on Amazon Prime. And I took a picture and I tweeted it um, because you can see the guy coming out of the balcony off the hotel balcony. You can definitely see the mat underneath. It was (laughs) just so completely obvious that there was a and you know that's probably really just more of a formatting issue of whatever version that they had. I'm sure they didn't like leave that in on purpose, but um, it, it just, it. I took a picture of it because it cracked me up so much that I was like, <laughs> like clearly there's the mat. That's what he lands on <laughs> before. Uh, but yeah, dude, that, that movie, that really needs a good disc. Uh, yeah. People, that men do. That's, it surprised me that when you play that clip, I was like, Oh yeah. And I, I wasn't planning on rewatching it for this, but I do like it, and I'm like, I'm surprised it's not out. I don't know why that is. Maybe that's because of whoever put it out, and they haven't allowed it to be put out on disc yet, but it's odd that it doesn't have a Blu-ray. A lot of his stuff is on Blu-ray, and this one isn't.
2: Yeah, and the transfer looks pretty good, so I'm guessing that, um, I mean... Who knows? Vinegar Syndrome has Death Wish Two out now in 4K. Maybe the evil that men do will be uh, will be coming soon.
0: If those were the two movies that they would put out, that would make total sense.
2: You can watch this, by the way, on Amazon Prime if you have a Stars subscription.
0: Got it. Okay. Yeah, I, I couldn't. I didn't. I, that's where I saw before, but I uh, know it's not there now. But I don't have a Stars subscription, so that's why.
2: Got it. Yeah, that's my number four. On to your number three
0: on to my number three okay it's getting pretty tight and uh but i really went back and forth on this one but i really love this film so i had to go 1975's hard times
1: 1933 america had hit the skids people were out of work and out of luck life was as tough as a cheap steak well you've been down the long hard road who hasn't it was hard times i've got a husband in jail no job and no prospects i don't look past the next bend in a road <laughs> columbia pictures presents hard times starring charles bronson as cheney a drifter when i get enough change in my pocket i'm gone a loner are you gonna stay the night? not this time a man who spoke soft i barely know you yeah but would you like to and hit hard <laughs> James Coburn as Speed, a born con man. All side bets, I keep 75%. That's how it works. Who can make a fortune in a day. I propose the toast to the best man I know. Me. And lose it in a minute.
0: <laughs> what the hell are you doing?
1: You don't want no trouble. Just you pay your debts.
0: This is directed by Walter Hill in his debut as a director. I don't believe he, he wouldn't go on to work with Bronson because I don't think they got along. Bronson was not happy with the amount of stuff he cut out of Jill Ireland, who's actually oh. pretty good in this. Um, and it's set during the Great Depression. James Coburn is like this guy who just like, you know, is a big gambler, big gamer, and he's like trying to put together a lot of street fights. And, you know, they're in New Orleans, and in comes, you know, Bronson is kind of this drifter. And he's just kind of looking around, trying to find ways to make money. And This is Bronson, like 19, even by 1975, Bronson is in his 50s. And that's how late like fame came to Bronson. Yep. But he's a huge star at this point, having gone through, gone out to Europe, made movies out there, become a really big success in Europe. And he's come back to America and now he's making American movies and he's getting paid a ton of money to do them because he's such a huge international star, more so than a lot of other American actors that were big names at the time. And he is just so jacked in this movie (laughs) because he just he's taking his shirt off and he's fighting dudes. And of course, the part was originally meant for a younger guy. But it's Bronson is just perfect for this guy. And he just becomes the street fighter. And again, he's one of those, you know, classic Bronson role. He doesn't say a lot. He doesn't really make his intentions known. He's fighting Uh, James Colburn's putting up all the fights and trying to, you know, make money off him. He's making money as well. And he's trying to, like, romance Jill Ireland. And it's it's just a it's just a great film. I just really, really dug it. I love Walter Hill stuff. Grew up watching 48 Hours so many times and looking back thought that's probably not a movie I should have watched as much as a young person. But I did, <laughs> and um, so big fan of him. Them teaming together, I think, is is just great. There's some other really great um actors in this as well. It's just an awesome film. It's great to see. Strother Martin is the other guy that I'm thinking of who's working with um James Coburn. And James Coburn was kind of a little bit not happy to be in the movie because he was kind of playing second fiddle to Bronson. Sure. Um, and he wasn't really wanting to do that, even though they had worked together before. And um, but. He they're both just tremendous in this, but it's really Bronson show. And he is just just the 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 fights that go on too. the, the one of the last fights that goes on. So it, they're they're long. It's a long fight. It's a nice, long, they live ish length fight. And it's uh I, I just really, really adore it. And so rewatching it because um, I got it. Di- I finally got it on disc. I got it from Eureka. So it's like a um, oh, OK, it's, it, it's you know, but it's an all region. So if you don't have a, re- a region player. Um, and their disc is great. looks great. And once I rewatched it, I was like, yeah, no, this is, this is just one of my absolute favorites. So hard times, 1975.
2: I really need to watch this. I know of it. I've seen scenes from it. I've seen how ripped Bronson looks in it. I've seen, I've actually even seen some of the fight scenes from it. Cool. That's hard times from 1975 directed by Walter Hill. Well, it's fine. It's time for my death wish pick. Time for my Death Wish pick here. Okay,
0: I have a feeling I know which one, but we'll see. Well,
2: maybe you know my taste here. You know, I felt like I had to put a Death Wish film in because Bronson's career kind of made a turn with the first Death Wish. And I I think the Death Wish, number one, I think it's a classic. Number two, I think it's way more upsetting and mean-spirited. Not really a fun watch for me. Uh, Nope. Number three, Death Wish number three yeah. dives right into Exploitation Boulevard, which is just my jam.
1: Charles Bronson, Death Wish 3. First, they took the streets, then they took it all. But their next target yeah. may be their last victim. Charles Bronson, where there is no justice, there can only be vengeance. Bronson Death Wish 3 now playing consult your listings
2: I reviewed Death Wish 1 2 and 3 on this program here and um, I I gotta say when I first watched 3 I think I said this I didn't love it upon my first watch but for this show after I saw a bunch of other Bronson movies I revisited it and I've come to appreciate this film way more Uh, it is by far the most entertaining of the three. And I think it's because I watched them in like complete succession. And it was like really, it was really dark and gritty in number one. And then number two was even more sour. And then you get to number three and it goes in a completely different tone shift. I think that might've been what put me off, but watching this after watching stuff like 10 to midnight, like Donato and daughter, like the evil that men do, you know what? This movie rocks. This movie's tight. The <laughs> gang war that takes up the last 30 minutes of this thing is fantastic. And Bronson doesn't do a whole lot here. He's like, he's showing yeah. his age. He's kind of lazily, um, you know, taking knees and taking pot shots during this whole thing. But uh, God, it is like, it's nuts. The the fed up neighbors in this neighborhood versus the gang. <laughs> yeah. It's so entertaining um, for, yeah. for those who haven't seen this or haven't heard my review. Number three, obviously, he plays uh Paul Kersey. This um Paul Kersey, a loved one's worst nightmare, I would say. Jesus Christ! Like if you get close <laughs> to this guy, you're gonna end up dead for yeah, no do not reason at make all.
0: Friends with this? Don't even make friends with this person. I
2: mean, if I if I was Paul Kersey after Death Wish after Death Death Wish three, you just gotta go live in the woods, unibomber style, yeah. and, and just be around <laughs> nobody.
0: Yeah. He continues to start new architecture firms throughout the franchise. (laughs) It's like, buddy, I appreciate your commitment to your craft, but my God, just stop. Just stop. Stop getting out in society, please. (laughs) Dude,
2: no city wants you at this point. Stop going back to New York. Nobody wants you.
0: Stop. Yeah. I think four, he goes back to L.A. too. It's like, please stop going to these metropolitan areas. Just go some, <laughs> please go off to Nebraska somewhere in a smaller town and just like live your life, man. Yeah, yeah. just
2: be an architect. but Don't make friends with anybody, dude. <laughs> in the first, his, his wife is killed and his daughter is raped and left catatonic. And then right. in the second one, his daughter is again kidnapped, raped and killed. And in this one, he goes back to New York and his best friend, or I guess it's his, his military buddy, his friend. Yeah. I don't know if it's his best friend, but killed by a psychopathic street gang. Mm-hmm. So apparently this gang is terrorizing the neighborhood. And in this movie, in the climax, you get the neighbors going up against the gang. Huge body count. The final show, the final showdown is crazy. We got a rocket launcher that blows <laughs> a dude straight <laughs> through a wall. You got the, yeah. all these eighties great cannon tropes like, Cars that might explode if you brush against them, and uh, gang members wearing spike leather vests, and it's got a great disco soundtrack. So, I want to retract my review of the first the first time I reviewed number three, and I want to say now that I I was wrong. Death Wish three rules, and uh, I think it it deserves number three on my list here.
0: Great, that's yeah. I I agree with you that my first I know I saw Death Wish and I probably saw this I don't know if I saw the second one I'm not sure I, probably after the first one my parents were like let's stop showing them Death Wish films <laughs> but um but, but uh seeing the third one I was like okay I get why people like it but re-watching it for this I was I wasn't going to pick it and I had a feeling that you would that's why I didn't well played yeah so I was like I'm going to let him choose it but it, I get why people really love it I've kind of been a little bit more partial to four. I've not seen four. Four is just so dumb, in the best ways as well. I mean, and it's not the like it's not Michael winner anymore. It's Jaylee Thompson, and this is I think sometimes it's like the winner of it all that kind of gets in my way. Like winner, just you know never saw a sexual assault scene he didn't like, and so sometimes you're like calm down. Michael winner please for God's sakes and he even does it in part three where he's like well let's, let's squeeze one in with a side character and it's oh, like, I why, know. why do we need to keep doing too.
2: this terrible um,
0: but, but yeah the ending is what really like propels the third one and the fact that like he's let loose off his chain by a police officer in new york like you're gonna work for me now <laughs> it's <laughs> just it's like we're well, instead of us hunting down this guy who's being a vigilante we're gonna make it work for us yeah and, ed, uh, louder. Conti- ed louder ed Lauder, who's in a bunch of his movies and he was also the dad in uh girls just want to have fun Yep, for new world pictures 1985 and he uh and he like he continues in four with uh he's it he goes against the drug uh, like drugs because the daughter of his girlfriend get uh, dies because of drugs so he goes after the gang members he again kills people with a rocket launcher it's uh and then there's like a kind of a twist that you maybe don't see coming and which is kind of fun but I just four is just like I don't know what it is it's just really dumb and it doesn't have any of the scenes that were harder for me to take that said watching it again for the for this the third one is a total blast it really is it's just you have to be ready like okay forget the other two death wishes this is death wish but just cranked up like exactly exactly it is the 80s it is people on cocaine running around just with chains beating people up we've got like mad max feeling to some of the punk rockers or a little bit of warriors mixed in and it, we're just going for it. And then Bronson, uh, and thankfully, that young girl that starts talking to him, uh, what the the lawyer, I think, or whatever. Yeah. Um, oh, you you're just sitting there going, Don't, please don't fall for him. <laughs> I know. <laughs> please, please do not fall for this old guy. Um, you're gonna end but, up um, dead. You yeah, will die. You everyone who knows him dies. Even tangentially, even if he hasn't seen them in a while. <laughs> but um but yeah it it is it is a blast and i understand why it's such a it's such a huge so many people uh love to love death wish 3 and so i i own it as well and i begrudgingly bought it but i was like okay i'll get the debt i'll get death wish wish 3 oh my god death wish 2 because of vinegar syndrome yeah <laughs> which i again i agree with you death wish 2 is it's rough that's a it's, it's It's like, what if uh, this happened again? But L.A. Um,
2: (laughs) (laughs) How can we make his his daughter's life even worse? Well, she can run and jump out a window and impale herself. That would be great.
0: I know. I know. And look, it's Death Wish. But this time, Jill Ireland's in it. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it's just a, it's yeah. But the third one is like way more fun. And it certainly changes the course of the Death Wish movies as well as the career, of course, Canon was like just really wanted all these Death Wish movies once they put out the second one. And it was so popular. Um And Michael Winter needed another hit. And so it, it, he brought him back for that. But I think this might be the last movie they make together.
2: It is because after this, he started working with J. Lee Thompson.
0: I think J. Lee Thompson was, yes, you know, as he was getting older, he was like, that's my guy because he lets me come and go at the hours I want. And. Gets the shots done and we get the movie made. <laughs> and I think that's what he prioritized as he got older. I think even though what Alex winter, I'm going to totally um, misquote him here, but he said something like w- said, working on this movie, he plays one of the three trio of punks that kills his, uh Paul Kersey's friend. At the beginning. Yeah. And yep. he said, it was like watching, it wasn't like watching an actor act. It was like watching an actor golf. <laughs> but um, he said something to that effect, much more clever in his in his quote. But uh, yeah, it's a you get you're starting to see Bronson getting a little like, OK, and and that's why I, I didn't choose a Death Wish, because I feel like that series just he couldn't get away from it. Even though there's 10 years between the first and second, like, mm-hmm. then canon just went after these movies. And, you know, he's still making the fifth one, like in the, almost the mid 90s.
2: Yeah, 94
0: and it's just the fifth one again is not as bad as you might think but it's still like we are really coasting on fumes everyone here is coasting on fumes
2: number two for you
0: oh shoot yes number two okay so uh this i don't think will be a surprising pick maybe in in only in its placement but um this is my 60s pick and i had to go with 1969's once upon a time in the west
1: the railroad the Boom Towns. A New Life. And the Promised Land. Once upon a time.
0: I know I was saying I wanted uh, Bronson's name above the title, essentially, but I feel like in terms of a lot of the other films he does, they're much more ensemble films where this one has certainly has Henry Fonda and Jason Robarbs and Claudia Cardinale, but it's Bronson's movie. Bronson's the hero of this film. Yeah. And this movie, you got to carve out some time to watch it. It's a, It's definitely long. But man, I just watched it again last night and I'm like, just, I just, I'm just blown away by it. He, he, it's, it's, God, I don't even know what to get into. I feel like, um, you know, what was uh, Francis Ford Coppola's quote about Apocalypse Now? He said, it's not about Vietnam, it is Vietnam. That's from the, from the, the uh, documentary about the making of the film. I feel like this is the West. It is... God, it's good guys, it's bad guys, it's about the proliferation of the states and the movement going west. It is like about everything about the west, starting with a complete tragedy, as we see Henry Fonda go completely against type, uh, and uh, murder some people, and that is a catalyst to a lot of things, but I shouldn't jump over the fact that the opening sequence with these guys waiting at the train station is just one of the most iconic of all time. An incredible opening shot on, um, uh, for, or hero shot, if you will, of Bronson facing down three bad guys. Uh, he plays the harmonica a lot. He's called harmonica. We don't know his real name. Typical of Sergio Leone. Yeah. I was going to say, um, uh, a great score from Ennio Morricone Though, it's funny that they use his score, which has sort of harmonica bits in it. Harmonica bits that recall his eventual score for The Untouchables. But, um, you know, he he plays the harmonica during the score. And then there's times he's playing the harmonica and it isn't the score. (laughs) So it gets a little confusing, but that's fine. It's such an incredible film, such a great score that I I don't care. Um, And uh, it's a great thing to be able to see because... Bronson was Leone's original pick for the Dollars Trilogy. That's who he wanted uh and and, and ended up with Clint Eastwood instead. Now, as I mentioned up top, I love spaghetti westerns. I love the Dollars Trilogy. I love Sergio Leone. Um I couldn't I I go back and forth on which one is my favorite of the three. But we get this movie cuz we get a chance to see what Bronson would have been like had he done one of those movies. And uh, he gets to be in one of the best Westerns of all time. It's just an incredible film. Um, there is a director's cut, which I have not seen, which is another 10 minutes, which I'm almost frightened to see just it <laughs> is it is, is a long. three hour movie. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like two and a half hours. I think it's it's like it's lo- it's a lot. It's it's it might be my one criticism of it, but it's just so epic in scale. He's. By the end, you're just like, holy shit, what a what a what a journey we've taken. Um, and not to not to men, not to leave anybody out, but uh, Claudia Cardinale is also just tremendous in the film. Yeah. Um, and she's uh, Jason Robards is tremendous in the film. Henry Fonda. Uh, I I think people thought he was insane for doing this movie <laughs> because he plays such a vicious, terrible person. Totally Um, against
2: type at the time, too.
0: Totally against type, yeah. Uh, I can't imagine, I mean, I've seen this way after it was released or whatever, and I can't imagine going into a movie thinking, oh, cool, a Western with Henry Fonda, and being like, oh, shit. Uh, Wait, what? That's not what I remember about Henry Fonda.
2: He killed a whole family? What?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean... Yeah, that opening scene, is uh, with him anyway, is so brutal. There's so many things in that movie I love. Uh, in that scene, just the fact that the father keeps hearing because the bugs stop
1: mm-hmm. chirping,
0: and then they'll go back, and he thinks he's everything's okay. It's it's It is long, but he is doing it on purpose. It is just some stellar filmmaking. I feel like I'm trying to find something to say about Once Upon a Time in the West that hasn't been said, and I'm struggling. I'm not going to be able to. It's a, just a tremendous film and, and just worth seeing. If you haven't seen it, you definitely need to see it. And uh, it is Bronson being Bronson, though, without a mustache. Yeah. So it's important to um, have a movie with him without a mustache. And this is this is my third film with him without a mustache, I will say.
2: Oh, the mustache list list.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't didn't think about that till this very moment. So it's not on purpose. But this is uh, I'm I'm going heavy on Sands' uh, um, mustache, which again, when my wife saw me watching one of these, she was like, "Where's this mustache?" I was like, "He doesn't have it in this movie." I don't think it was for this one. I think it was for Hard Times, and she was like, "Oh, he needs to have a mustache. He's a guy who needs a mustache at all times."
2: That's another but, parameter you know, to narrowing down your list. No mustache is allowed. <laughs>
0: Yeah, um, you've seen this, right? I'm going on and on, but you've seen this.
2: I have. I was going back and forth about what was going to be my number one and what was going to be my number two. And as I have it written, this is my number one, so I'm going to knock it down to number two so I can talk about it, too, at the same time. Okay,
0: okay. Yeah, that's where I thought was going to be the wild pick was not to make it number one. Yeah,
2: this, this is an incredible movie. I don't know how much stock people take in like the IMDb 250, but this is in the top 50 of the IMDb 250. It is one of the best Western movies of all time. Uh, And just to give a little bit of background, so he did, Bronson did a lot of movies here before this in the United States, but he was a part of a lot of ensemble casts and the things where he was a star weren't really hitting like he wanted them to hit. So like many people back then, including Clint Eastwood, who you had mentioned, went to went overseas to make movies um i almost picked almost picked a movie called farewell friend mm-hmm, in uh mm-hmm. as my movie for this part of his career because i i thought this might a be European, on your list
0: yeah yeah but you thought i would pick farewell friend
2: no no no. i thought you would pick uh once upon a once upon a time in the west so i almost picked farewell friend to like balance that out but <laughs> the more I thought about I admit it, I
0: did it as my backup. I admit <laughs> my backup. If you picked it, <laughs> I had farewell friend backed up just in case you you picked Once Upon a Time in the West. But I, I I beat you to it.
2: That was like um like his real breakthrough over there because he starred opposite Alain Delon, who was like France's biggest movie star at the time. And when you mm-hmm. watch that movie, you can see why he's he, like a beautiful man on screen. And uh, so he was in that he they have basically equal screen time in this, uh, really kind of slow moving heist movie, but it's, it's really good. And so then real
0: sweaty, real, yeah. oh. real sweaty affair.
2: Yeah. Yeah. They're like locked over a uh, Christmas break in this, in this, um, <laughs> in this vault thing. that they're trying to get open, but, uh, After that movie, he made this movie, and this is what really catapulted him into, like, super international stardom to the point where um, this was the biggest movie in France in 1969, and it made him one of the most popular actors on Earth. Mm -hmm. He was, like, a global sensation. I don't think people understand how big Charles Bronson was in the early 70s because of this movie. Uh, And when you watch it, you realize why this is what I had referenced earlier uh, on in the show. And I said it, this was the first movie that really like turned me on to Bronson because he's got such a presence on screen. He is awesome in this movie mm-hmm. uh, as harmonica, just so badass. but the movie as a whole, as a Western, like the craft behind it, the, both the video and the sound, because the sound is incredible. Uh, mm-hmm. It's, it, it, the the cinematography, the camera work, he lingers on a lot of things. He shows you a lot of the scenery in the background. Like you said, all deliberate, all on purpose. And it just it just works. It is one of the best Western movies I've ever seen. I think most people who like Westerns will probably tell you it's one of the best Westerns ever made. And uh, 100% deserves, it deserved to be my number one. It's going to be my number two now, just so I can talk about it at the same time. But in spirit, <laughs> man, this is Definitely my uh, my favorite of his movies. Just such a good film.
0: Such a good film, and just starting really cementing. I feel like the kind of persona he liked to play on screen. Yeah, just a tough guy who didn't have to say a lot, and it just that's I, you can tell that's why Leone wanted him because that's the thing he liked about his leading men, and Bronson just personified that. And this is like one of the most perfect distillations of the kinds of things that Bronson liked to do. And to your point about what a big star he was in Europe, he that's why he just cranks out movies in the 70s, because even if they weren't domestic hits in the United States, they were enormous hits in overseas. So he could continue to make movies because he was an enormous international star and he got paid more than a lot of his contemporary stars in the United States who were more popular in the US. But he was such a huge international star that they knew making movies with Bronson. They were absolutely going to make money. There was just no way they wouldn't because he was such a huge international star. It was kind of a crazy and he went and did, I think, farewell, farewell friend purely on the advice of Jill Ireland. I think she's oh, the one that's who talked him into doing it. Um, Good I move. Think he was, yeah. I mean, what am well, I think he knew he wanted to go to Europe and make movies. I don't think he wasn't sure about that particular one. Boy, whatever happened, whatever got him into that movie. Amazing, because that just really what sets him uh, on a huge course. And I have another movie that he made during his European period. I'll have for our discards, but man, I really love this one too. So yeah, but West Tom on time in the West. I'm glad you love it. I mean, it's hard not to love it. If you see it, it's just, it's just so good. It's just so damn good. I was watching it just going, man, I really got to see if any revival house in LA is playing this because God, I would really love to see this on the big screen.
2: Yeah. And I can't imagine uh, something like the New Beverly wouldn't play it at some point. I'm yeah, sure right, that they've, I'm right. sure Tarantino I'm sure has a print.
0: I'm sure they've played it many, many times. I just haven't, I haven't seen it.
2: Yeah, this is uh, one of Quentin Tarantino's favorite movies, if I recall correctly, too. So you can see a lot of the influence and in stuff like Hateful Eight and Django Unchained, for sure.
0: And I feel like watching it, too, and I know there are some people who don't really care much for spaghetti westerns, and I get it. Like, there's a lot of them that are, you know, really very, cheaply knocked off, uh, you know, made films, but you know, watching it, you're like, you can't watch this and not say this is to all the points you were saying about the craft of that film. You can't look at this film and not say that this is just some cheapo Italian production, you know, taking some American stars and making a a movie. Like this is like Supreme craft. You cannot look at this and say, Oh, those Italian uh, Westerns were just a bunch of junk. Like no way. You can't not you can't look at this and say that.
2: I didn't see this movie for a long time. I actually had the DVD for a long, long time and I and I finally ended up watching it. And this is I mean, this is years ago when I first saw it, but I had the DVD for a good amount of time before I ended up seeing it because it was shit. Even on DVD it was like two discs because the movie's so long. If the <laughs> runtime is something that scares you, I invite you to just watch the opening scene on YouTube and you will want to watch the rest because it's like you said, it's fantastic.
0: It's just so, it's so perfect. It's just perfect. It, it you know, the pace of it, the, the looks of the different guys, the, the little fly, the whole thing with a fly catching it in the gun, yeah. all these different things. You're just like, it's just perfect. It is the West. It is the West.
2: Well, how are we going to follow up once upon a time in the West with our number ones here? Grand finale time. Ryan, what do you got for top five Charles Bronson
0: movies? This is a movie I've loved forever. This is the first movie I was shown. Charles Bronson. And I just had... It just hit me. I'd never seen a movie like it. I never stopped thinking about it. I've watched it many times. I watched it again for this. And I got a new disc of it. So I got to bust that out. Open it up and watch it. Because I, I just adore 1972's The Mechanic. Yes. Mr. Bishop, we'd like you to go
1: ahead. There are a thousand ways to kill a man, and one assassin knows them all. Murder is only killing without a license, and everybody kills. But when the best in the business There are times when I could use a backup. takes on a partner. I'm gonna teach you all I can. Last hit of his life. Play to win, do you? I'm gonna pick my own mark. Could be his own. The mechanic is a nonstop thrill ride. Charles Bronson, Ah. Jan Michael Vincent. The mechanic.
0: How long till she goes?
1: Just about now.
0: Again, some of the things about. Bronson movies that you love it's a movie where he doesn't talk a lot the opening sequence uh he plays Arthur Bishop who's an assassin and he goes through a long sequence of planning out how to kill this particular guy and you watch him go through all the steps without any dialogue until you see the giant big conclusion of it
2: it's like 20 minutes long
0: yeah, it's just a very long and amazing sequence. Michael Winner again. This is with him with Winner. So this was this was my Winner pick because I also think it's Michael Winner's best film. Yeah, um, certainly his best film with Bronson. I mean, there there might be some that he did without Bronson that I don't that I don't I don't remember offhand. But um, an incredible cast. Uh, Keenan Wynn again, who's who's who is uh, also in Once Upon a Time in the West. Um. Running the whole auction, and um who plays big Harry. he he hires him to come out and do this job uh or talks to him into doing a job that becomes his next target the the uh, King and Wynn's son is played by Jan Michael Vincent, who is just coming on as a movie star, yep at that point in time, and they end up working together the two of them. And he ends up taking uh, on J- uh, Jan Michael Vincent as his like sort of apprentice. And there's just like a whole world in there that you barely get to see. Um, taking on an assistant without getting permission turns out to be a huge no, no. There's a whole other world. i love the world building of it. There is a winner moment in this film, which is the scene that I think is what makes Bronson's Mechanic, which is a terminology for a top assassin. So that's it. There's a scene where I think it's the suicide scene where Jan Michael Vincent is very like just uh, uh he's he has no sympathy for this girl who's killing herself at this party that Bronson happens he has invited Bronson to, and it's something about his reaction to that is what makes him bring him on as his assistant. It's a kind of a weird sequence admittedly and but it's like oh winner you had to do something he doesn't do sexual assault but this is as close as he gets to doing something like it something yeah. kind of odd and strange after that it's really when he takes them under his wing and they start going through and doing several different jobs eventually ending up in Italy and then I don't want to say the ending but it has a twist ending that I just remember as a kid just being completely blown away by
2: yeah it's good
0: and there's some great action sequences. Once they're in Italy, I just found found this film. I just love. I just love this film. I find it endlessly fascinating to watch. It's got lots of sequences with no dialogue. Bronson barely he barely speaks. He only speaks when he has to. Um, Jan Michael Vincent's just a great cocky guy, but not too cocky. Um, you get why he kind of you know takes this guy under his wing. And the ending of it again. I'm gonna try and dance around this, but. The ending of it made me this time around when I watched it, I realized, like, I think he did something in a way that he could have tried to undo had he had the chance (laughs) really dancing around this ending, Um, because I think he really you see what a lonely person he is. And he really brought him in because he he it was great to have a companion. Yeah, I mean, in the movie, he has no real love life. Jill Ireland, of course, is in the movie. But she plays like a, you know, a uh, a hired call girl who, you know, is a woman he goes and sees. But it's not like they have any real relationship. It's just a transactional relationship. And uh, I think there was supposed to be another scene that they cut that out. But I think it's really just down to one scene. So he really just doesn't have much else going on in his life. And um, I've just I've always been obsessed with this. This was the first movie my dad showed us. And I just have always loved this film ever since.
2: For newer viewers who have seen the remake with uh, Jason Statham, this and movie had its sequel.
0: <laughs> oh yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, I forgot that it had a sequel. Yeah. It's not like a straight up action movie like you might think. I saw this after I saw the Statham mechanic, because I did when I watched that one I didn't realize it was a remake and then I went back and watched mm-hmm. this one. And it's definitely more of a character piece. There are there are definitely some action scenes in it, but like you said, it's more about the relationship between him and Jan Michael Vincent. But mm-hmm. the action does hit. There's a mo- uh, motorcycle stunt in here that's like crazy.
0: <laughs> yeah. In fact, I think the relationship between them, uh, between the two of them, the, the screenwriter said initially he thought the relationship between them would be a homosexual relationship. Which would have been, I think, in terms of a remake, would have been very interesting.
2: Yeah, I agree.
0: Um, but that was not of course they tossed that out and didn't do that which is you know kind of unfortunate i think that would have really added an interesting wrinkle to the whole thing um but yeah it's really about these two guys it's you know it really gets going especially in the middle and uh i just love it i i just uh i couldn't not put it number one and i realized that there may be it's not the absolute best movie but it's my favorite so therefore it gets the number one slot
2: and he's got his mustache back
0: And he's got his mustache. It's got a mustache.
2: (laughs) All right, man. That's a a worthy number one. The mechanic is a is a great movie and a great pick. For my grand finale here, I'm going back to what I would consider part of his boomer trilogy. (laughs) And I say this of like people (laughs) who got into Bronson in the '60s. Uh, These are movies that grandpas watch, and and you know, probably put your dad onto at some point. Uh, there are three amazing ones. And, you know, they're all good. They're all good. It was not tough for me to pick my favorite, but uh, my favorite of these might not even be, like, considered the best ones. These are all great films. Uh, the first is Magnific- oh, okay. Magnificent Seven. The second is The Great sure. Escape. Okay. But my first uh, and my number one pick is 1967's The Dirty Dozen.
1: Major Reisman, you are ordered by Allied command to select 12 general prisoners convicted by courts martial and sentenced to be executed or serve lengthy prison terms for murder, rape, robbery and other crimes of violence. And you will deliver them secretly behind enemy lines in France to undertake a mission of sabotage that could change the course of the war. The 12 men will be known as the Dirty Dozen. This
2: might not be considered like a Charles Bronson movie because he's part of an amazing cast, but right. he no like he's set around people like um, Lee Marvin plays the guy who's in charge of this team, and I'll get to the plot here in a second. But he's uh, he's alongside Lee Marvin, Jim Brown, Ernest Borgnine, John Cassavetes, Donald Sutherland in like a really small role, uh, and and Telly Savalas playing this fucking unhinged lunatic religious misogynist um he's mm-hmm. part of this great cast a who's who of actors in the 60s and he still manages to shine through as this uh like chiseled out of stone prisoner um this is one that so i record a lot of these episodes uh pretty f- like pretty close together and then i space them out as i uh, you know as i edit them and post them and I was actually planning on talking about this during my top five war films, and then you were like, hey, let's do Charles Bronson, and I had Mm -hmm. to tuck this one away, because this is one of my favorite war movies, but it's like, you know what, I'm going to save that for the Bronson list, because, God, it is just Great, and uh, he's one of the reasons why it's great.
0: Yeah, he is. He he does have a um, his role like really ups too in the 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 last third. He oh yeah becomes a much more important uh, person in the mission. What he's doing in the mission, I should say.
2: Yep, and this is if again if you're not into '60s movies, if you haven't seen a lot of these older Bronson movies, this is the inspiration for a lot of movies that you've seen. The Suicide Squad is basically a remake of the Dirty Dozen. Uh, Inglorious Bastards has a lot of Dirty Dozen in there.
0: The original too, the the Italian version as well.
2: Yeah, yeah. All I mean, well, I'll I'll give you the plot summary, so you, and you'll realize how uh, how influential just this plot is. It's about uh, Major Reisman, played by Lee Marvin. He is um, he is ordered to undertake a top secret mission to take out this French chateau of. Um, of high-ranking German officers to disrupt the chain of command in France during the Allied invasion. It's supposed to go down like the day before D-Day. And so he comes up with the idea to get a bunch of prisoners. And his thing is, you know what? If you survive the mission, you will receive pardons for your crimes. And it's a great premise because if they succeed, the army gets a huge win, huge dent in the World War II uh, defense And if they fail, then the enemy has done the army's dirty work for him. We got rid of, uh, you know, we got rid of 12 prisoners who were up on death row or in prison for life. Whatever. No big deal. So this is your setup. It's the Suicide Squad. Oh, it is so, so good. Everybody's got these really distinct personalities. Uh, Lee Marvin is great as this kind of like hard ass commander or hard ass army major but at the same time, you can tell he treats these guys kind of well behind the scenes. Uh, he, uh, he like when they do things right, he treats them with alcohol and prostitutes. Uh, he <laughs> yep. he does little things like getting this dude his guitar strings for him. Just a, a great character. The editing is fantastic, which I, I think it was nominated for best editing at the Oscars that year, as well as supporting actor. Uh, best sound, best sound editing. The sound in this is great. It's a really, really fun movie. It's very violent. And in the last third, so you have basically the, the first two thirds of this movie. Of uh, The first third is him getting the team together. The second third yeah. is them training. And they're about to pull the plug on this mission until they uh succeed in the war games like uh, test run by using their cunning and using their deceiving nature. And the last third is the mission where they parachute down. And from Mm -hmm. that parachute jump, we lose a guy and you realize like, oh shit, not all these guys are going to come back and literally less than a handful come back. So the stakes are immense.
0: And you're so invested at that point because of that whole training sequence, you you know, to to say that like, there's a good chunk of that movie where he's assembling the crew and then training them. You'd think, oh, that sounds kind of boring. It's not, it's completely riveting. (laughs) You are because of the way they built their personalities, and because Cassavetes is the one that's like, hey, I don't want to care. I don't care about any of this. And then he does end up caring about it a lot. That's the ride that you take as an audience member. Like, that these guys get into it. That they can see their own retribution. You get sucked into it so hard. This movie is like, it's, yeah, it's, it's a great I mean, the three that you talked about, you can't pick a bad one, but Man, the Dirty Dozen is, is just a fucking terrific movie, all you know, all the way around. Yeah, Robert Aldrich I love it. again, you know, um, who used uh, who used uh, Bronson in a couple other movies as well, but in smaller roles. Yep. Um, but Robert Aldridge just uh, yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but yeah, it's just an incredible, incredible movie.
2: No, yeah. the The more things we could say about this movie to sell people on it, the better. And Bronson looks just fantastic in this movie. Uh, he's sure, yeah. he, he looks great. He's tough as nails. But he also has this kind of like magnetic quality to him in this role that, like you said, once you get to that final scene or, or the, the, the final uh, third of this movie, really, really starts to shine. And it's violent. They I mean, we're lighting people on fire in this movie. Uh, just it's, it's great. And
0: I think again, to your, to your point, if you haven't seen the dirty dozen, you need to, because to your point, you know, I'm just thinking about it, you know, yeah, of course the suicide squad, but there are so many movies that borrow from the dirty dozen. It really is such a touchstone for so many movies afterwards, like you need to see this movie because you'll be, you're going to be like, Oh wow. Yeah. That's from another movie, you know, like, um, I feel like, uh Tarantino constantly borrows little bits and pieces from it. Totally. Um, but like there it's 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 just a movie that was just copied so many times and is still being copied to this day. It's uh you if you haven't seen it, you need to get on it. It's a it's an absolutely terrific war film. I would have picked it for number one in war films as well. I absolutely love it.
2: Yeah, this is, and I I didn't mention this, I kind of breezed over his name, but Jim Brown is really, really great in this too. And this is the movie that really caused good. his retirement because he was, you know, it was going over schedule and he wasn't going to be able to make Cleveland Browns training camp. And the owner of the Browns basically said, you know, he, he threatened him with, you're going to have to make a choice, Hollywood or the Cleveland Browns. And he was like, all right, Hollywood it is. <laughs> and then he announced his retirement.
0: And he was smart to do so because he's so good in the movie. Oh, yeah. He's yeah. really good. He's really good. Like you said, everyone's good in this movie. Donald Sutherland was so good. He was hired to not even... He's not even supposed to say anything. Yeah.
2: So he's small. He's so
0: good. He ends up saying... <laughs> he ends up having a few lines that I think he ends up coming up with himself. But he was not even supposed to have any lines in the whole film. He just kind of tripped into this. And then he, he's so memorable, too, and he barely has any lines. And you know Richard Jekyll and George Kennedy. I mean, just... Uh, And I just was so struck by Cassavetti's too. I just think Cassavetti's obviously he was the one who gets the Academy Award nomination, but he's just so damn good in it.
2: I think a lot of the great performances come from the linchpin that is Lee Marvin in this. Who and he and Bronson, their dynamic on screen is one that I think mirrored the real life experiences because they were completely different types of actors on set. Like I said before, Bronson's a pro. He comes in ready to do his scenes, ready to work, ready to go home. And Lee Marvin was like, I'm going to drink all night. I'm going to booze it up and I'm going to come in (laughs) and stumble around on set. And Bronson was like, I'm going to fucking kill you, man.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I feel sadly that I feel like and I don't know, I haven't done as deep a dive on Lee Marvin's career, but I know I saw a lot of his stuff in the 80s. I feel like when I, you know, have rewatching this movie, I felt like this is the performance that like everybody then asked him to do in every movie kind of following or a lot of the movies. following. Sure.
2: Yeah. They Pigeon were like, yeah, do, sure.
0: do do Yeah. The, do the dirty dozen. That guy's you can do that guy. Great. And, you know. By the time he's doing Delta Force or whatever, it's just like, okay, this again. okay, no problem. I can do this shit in my sleep. So why not go out and drink all night? Like, it's not like he got something tough to do the next day. But he he he's so you. you And so for me growing up, seeing that, you know, as a performance, but then going back and you eventually whenever I saw the Dirty Dozen the first time, it's like, oh, no, this is why, because this guy is just so dynamic and so. He just commands the screen. He's just so good. And, you know, the way he wins those the guys over, as you're saying, it's really what makes the, all that sequence just so worth it. Um, you know, it's, it's a long movie as well, but it never, never feels like it.
2: Yeah. It's, it's really tough to make us root for people like Cassavetes and for people like Telly Savalas. But in this movie, you find that <laughs> points that you are. Yeah. <laughs> That's a testament to the it's filmmaking. It's hard to
0: say that you would root for Telly Savalas. Well, it's yeah, he yeah. He is the worst and is their undoing in a lot of ways.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, of course, <laughs> he's like the loose cannon that, you know, is going to fucking ruin everything. But um, yep. when he does, then they have to improvise. and It's great.
0: And I was going to say, you know, part of why I did the parameters I did was partly because it's so hard to choose between the Dirty Dozen for me or the Great Escape or even the Magnificent Seven. So I kind of just took that off the plate for myself. Yeah. (laughs) So it was tough. I'm so glad that you picked it because I'm just like, I I just did not want to even put myself in that position because I love all three of those movies. Um, The Great Escape was one of the first movies I went and saw at the at the new Bev in, in a theater uh during the you know post 2020 when we you know there was not a lot of uh i wasn't going to a lot of movies and uh i happened to have a night to myself and so i went and saw that at, at the new bev and it was like my first theatrical experience coming back to to a movie theater oh that's great uh and just it was just so so good so you know i'd love to see the the dirty dozen there as well um So, yeah, I I just didn't want to have to choose. So I'm glad I didn't have to. And now you did instead. So well done.
2: (laughs) Well, I think it's a testament to (laughs) Bronson's amazing career that we only crossed over on one film. Yeah. Which was the amazing Once Upon a Time in the West. Uh, What were some of those other also rans that maybe you uh, wished you could have put on or would have been on if we were doing top 10?
0: Well, the one that would have definitely snuck in to my number five. Um, but I really wanted to try to show a little bit more of Bronson's career, but, um, I had seen this before, but I just got the disc from Keena Lorber of violent city, AKA the family. Yeah. And I have to say, I even really like the family cut, which I believe is the U S cut. Um, it, the violent city cut is longer and it has more extra scenes. Oftentimes it was one of those things where it switches out of a dubbed English into Italian all of a sudden, and mm-hmm. all of a sudden you're listening to people and then suddenly you're reading, but it's a Sergio Salima movie from 1970. It's right in the peak of Bronson being, um, it, it being in, it, in overseas making movies. And, it again has some, I think the reason, the other reason why I knocked it off is because it shares a lot of DNA with even the mechanic.
2: Yeah, I see that. Because
0: it starts off with a very long sequence of no dialogue. He's again, another professional assassin whose name is Jeff. And another thing that I think you would enjoy about this film is, it, it, and I, I, I mean anybody, but I'm really speaking to you, Jason, but I think anybody would enjoy it is because every single scene people are like, Hey, Jeff, (laughs) Jeff, what have you been doing? What do you mean, Jeff? Like people are constantly saying his name. And if there is a human being on Earth who does not look like a Jeff, it is Charles Bronson.
1: Yeah, just does not (laughs) look
0: like a Jeff in any way. And everybody uses that name in every scene multiple times. It's unbelievable how much they say Jeff. It's it's crazy. But anyway, (laughs) But they're like on vacation. He's on on vacation with, um, you know, his lover, which is played by Jill Ireland, and they're like in the they're on the islands. And then all of a sudden, there's a there's a big chase scene, and then it's a double cross, and he ends up getting double crossed. And then he's sort of traveling uh, around uh, trying to find out who double crossed him. And there's several sequences in here, then particularly one in, that was shot in New Orleans. Because it's shot overseas, but also shot partially in New Orleans, which was a big thing for Sergio Salima because he was like, I get to make a movie in America. This will be terrific. And and there's great sequences where there's no dialogue. And in particular, I don't want to say hardly anything about it, but the ending sequence is all done silently. Uh, Again, another incredible Ennio Morricone score. And it's just terrific. you got Telly Savalas again in this he plays the bad guy in this so um, so he has a lot he gets to say Jeff a whole lot as he talks <laughs> Charles Bronson and um, and he plays kind of a sleaze bag but uh, but is telling Bronson things that he doesn't want to hear but he probably should have um, and it's just terrific it's a really great f- film entirely overlooked so that's why i would recommend it but it was a lo- there's a lot of like the mechanic in it as well particularly in the amount of sequences that didn't have any dialogue. So I was like, okay, well maybe if I can squeeze it in at number five, I would do it. But um, there's also, yeah, the, uh, the other amazing sequences is in a, uh, like a race scene, which they did in the Michigan I- international speedway, which again, is just him sort of like lining up what he's going to do, how he's going to hurt this person that double crossed him. It's just excellent. Highly recommend it. And I would actually ha- recommend the family cut, the U S cut, which normally, Normally, I would be like, do the do the international one, because that's always more fun. And but, you know, Um, the other ones that I would have picked, I'd love a good Western. Um, I would have loved to have squeezed Red Sun on there.
2: Oh, that's a very, very international Western movie.
0: Yeah. Uh, Again, Alain Delon, um, Toshiro Mifune. Uh, Ursula Andress, it's, they all sort of team up over Mifoni, Mafuni, excuse me, has, there's like a sword that was his, uh, you know, that gets sort of lost or stolen or whatever, and so he's needing to get the sword back, and they basically all sort of team up to help him out. Um, Terrence Young uh, is a guy who directed Bronson in a couple movies while he was working overseas, including Cold Sweat. Which is uh not a terrible one not a I wouldn't have put it on the list, but red sun is one i would re- i really like in terms of his westerns. I also really liked another michael winter um western that he made, uh which I believe they did right before death Wish, uh yeah, called Shadow's Land.
2: I haven't seen that one
0: which is another re- revenge one. Bronson plays a you know uh he's like part Native American and he's part white, but he's Starts off in the very first scene. He barely speaks any lines and only a couple lines in actual English. He's speaking in like whatever native tongue he he is a part of for the other, any other lines that he has, but he goes to a bar in the opening scene and there's a very racist sheriff who is just calling him all sorts of names and tries to draw on him and he turns around and kills him. And then they just put a posse together and they try to go hunt him down. And he basically leads them into his own, territory and it's an incredibly good movie but the thing of it is is that bronson is great in it but he's kind of a smaller part of it even though he's on the poster jack palins plays the guy who leads the posse and starts to slowly wonder whether or not this is a good idea and whether they should have done this to begin with and he is really great because he's a former confederate soldier who now just kind of has no agency and so the posse sort of gives him a purpose and then that purpose sort of unravels the longer and longer it goes kind of a really great film, but again, it's got a winter moment too. So you got to be watching. Uh, you watch of course out for it does. <laughs> you, you got I me. Mean, he can't help himself. So, um, and the other one that I just watched, which might've made my 1980s is, um, to go with your last pick is death hunt from 1981, which is Bronson again, teaming up with Lee Marvin. Though they're at odds with each other for sure in this film, and it's really about you know it's a pre John Wick moment where there's an argument over a dog.
2: Yep, dog fighting ring. <laughs> and
0: Bronson and, and Bronson ends up taking the dog from this guy uh, again um, from from uh, from uh, Death Wish three. So we got um, what am I? I'm forgetting his name. Ed Lauder. I'm sorry. There it is. Um, Ed Louder is the guy whose dog it is. And he is like, we got to get this guy. We got to take him down. Cause he took my dog. I need my dog back. And Lee Marvin is a mounty, Andrew Stevens from 10 to midnight. He is like a young junior, uh, Mountie. That's sort of, uh, teaming up with him. And they end up, uh, they go at Bronson, not Lee Marvin and not Andrew Stevens, but some of the other Ed Lauder's guys, they go after Lee Marvin, or uh, sorry, Charles Bronson at his house and he shoots one of them. And that's when Lee Marvin's like, "Okay, we got to just take him down and they all go after him. But he again escapes into the wilderness and it becomes a big giant hunt. And it's it's a really good movie. I think it's a really solid film, but I just it it wasn't so great. I had to put it on the list, but I would have that fifth slot had I gone other ways. These are all movies I think I could have squeezed into that fifth slot.
2: Yeah, Death Hunt is probably the closest one to being on my list of my also rans that hasn't that has not been mentioned during this show. It was a great headshot in this, like a guy. It just yeah. shows his head like exploding out of the back of his <laughs> brains and stuff. Um, Death
0: Hunt's great and again. A t- it's a. I saw it too, and I think what maybe kept it off is that I, you know, I watched it on. I think it's it. There's a version that's online, but it's not on YouTube. I think it was on Daily Motion, and it keeps popping to ads so much, and it's at all the wrong times, and it really takes you out of it. Uh-huh. And it's it's, you know, I watch a lot of things on Tubi as well, and so like I get it, like it doesn't seem to always bother me. But this was like the same three ads, and it was like they just kept popping up, and it was like, oh my god, let me watch this movie. I'm into it, you know. Um, so that kind of killed it because this is another movie that doesn't have a disc. It really deserves to to be get on a nice blu-ray and i don't know why it hasn't it's a i think this is a really under bronson film and it's and it's it's worth seeing
2: it is i love a good chase film and it's in the snow which is great i love that like snowy forested um kind of chase movie so yeah that one was close yeah. i think we kind of mentioned all the other ones uh i mean i almost had
0: Um, Cabo Blanco obviously
2: (laughs) for those who haven't seen Cabo Blanco it's basically like a Casablanca remake that is awful
0: it's not good
2: (laughs) (laughs) but I almost had a farewell friend on there the first death wish I considered uh Great Escape Magnificent Seven and Ten to Midnight were really my my honorable mentions so Yeah. um,
0: No, no Murphy's law in there. That's good.
2: I, you know, Murphy's law is fine, but I think in terms of the, that stage of his career, I think we got the right ones on there for sure. (laughs)
0: Yes. Yeah. That one has always driven me nuts since I even first saw it. Uh, Just the poor um, actress who's with him in Murphy's law, who's really terrific. She's a great actress. She's in tons of stuff but she just and I believe they 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 changed all of her insults to these wild phrases, which was something they did at the last minute. So it's not her fault. But what they asked her to yell at him constantly is just like so annoying. (laughs) Well, it's not dubbed in. It's just that I think that they did a rewrite of the script like late in the game. And then all of a sudden they took away all the what the insults were before and made them probably try to just soften them and try to give it more of like a PG rating. I'm I wonder if it's a PG rated film. I don't know, but you know, in the eighties that PG rating was pretty much, you could get everything in the PG rating. There right. was definitely more and then everything <laughs> below R could be PG like so, jaws. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. It's not a PG film. We tried to show it to our eight year old and it did not go well um it did not last long can't was not ready for jaws <laughs> but um but yeah like that's just that that movie just drives me insane murphy's law it's, i know that a lot of people like it but it drives me nuts yeah
2: well hey we got some awesome bronson recommendations for people and uh Yeah, I'm excited. I'm glad that you put me through this exercise of going through some past Bronson movies, because for the last month or so, I've uh, I've been hitting the Bronson and it's given me a whole new appreciation for him. Uh, Speaking of appreciation. Give us one more sell on New World Pictures podcast, my friend.
0: Oh, thank you. Well, first of all, thank you, Jason, for having me on. This was just a a real pleasure. And thank you. Thank you for accepting uh, Bronson as a topic. Because I have been able to like watch I've been over the pandemic just collecting a bunch of Bronson films. So I this was like my opportunity to just tear through them. There's still one I didn't get to see uh, someone behind the door, but Mm. I I, it's been so great to kind of get through these movies, revisit a bunch of them. Uh, So thank you for accepting it because this was this was just a a real pleasure to, to get to do to say i have to watch charles bronson movies it's for a podcast <laughs> it's have my do job it. now
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but uh for people that are you know still interested in listening to anything i have to say uh don't worry because there, i have two other co-hosts on the new world pictures podcast and um please check it out we've got some incredible interviews coming up this this uh the next couple months we've actually gotten to a point um where we're actually a couple months in advance. So I'm now trying to think what is coming up because we've recorded stuff in advance. But I know we have a Warlock episode coming. out. I'm not sure when this is coming out. Um, but we will be doing a Forbidden World month in July. And with it's going to be stacked with not only our talk, we'll, we'll do an episode on that movie, but we'll also talk to some of the people that worked on that movie. Um, we've already d- recorded one of the interviews and it's so good. Um, we'd already talked, of course, to Alan Holzman, who directed it and edited it. So we have those if you're interested and you want to jump in and uh, into that. Um, we have a 1987 comedy, teen girl comedy called Pretty Smart. And that's going to be coming up to probably in August. Um, so we've got a lot of really good episodes coming up. And, and there's a great interview we just recorded with that. And we just recorded another great interview this week we've had two interviews that we recorded this week, which were just uh, just all came together so quickly. We were so pleased uh, with a writer of one of our absolute favorite New World films. So that was a real, real joy to to record and have the opportunity to talk to talk to him. So I highly recommend if you haven't already check us out, give us a shot. I think you'll have a really good time. Um, if you love Blade Runner and you're going to get mad that one of us doesn't. Maybe skip that one. But other than that, <laughs> um, come and check us out. And thank you again, Jason, for having me. This was this was, uh, this was awesome.
2: This was fun. And I'm going to make it easy for all of you to find this podcast. Just look in the show notes. And uh, after this one comes to a close, go ahead and jump over there and, and pick your favorite New World picture to check out. So just to recap that for you, Ryan's picks from the New World Pictures podcast. He had at number five, Machine Gun Kelly. At number four, 10 to Midnight. At number 3, 1975's Hard Times, at number 2, Once Upon a Time in the West, and at number 1, The Mechanic. And I had Donato and Daughter at number 5, a TV movie, at number 4, I had The Evil That Men Do, number 3, Death Wish 3, number 2, we shared Once Upon a Time in the West, and at number 1, I had The Dirty Dozen. Hey listener, what's your favorite Charles Bronson flick? Let me and Ryan know on social media, at Force5Pod on Twitter, at Force5Podcast on Instagram, or join the Cinematics Facebook page and talk film with us there, and your comment might just make it to the next show. If you liked what you heard, please, please, please review the show wherever you listen to podcasts and tell your friends to listen, too. I need more listeners in my life. Intro and outro bumpers today come courtesy of Nate Spears. The Top 5 list Bumper was produced by me with music from Audio Binger. Until next time, stay safe, stay sane, and go watch some Charles (music) Bronson. Hey there, classmates! Tune in to Middle Class Film Class every Monday and Wednesday for weekly movie news, streaming picks, and one deep dive review. The Batman trailer. There was a teaser. There was a trailer. Trailer one. Trailer two. Final trailer. I don't know if it's the same one. How many trailers do we need? Exactly. Leave an email or a voicemail to join in the discussion. Bullshit
0: artist. Oh. <laughs> yeah, buddy. All That's
1: right. Awesome. You're going full
0: Danzig. Right, I am. My my people has trans- no power over me. me. <laughs> <laughs>